Grab your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4, what was just read. We're going to be unpacking this morning as we continue in the series through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be studying from verse 7 to verse 16. As you're turning there, I don't know if you're uh, close to my age or older or around that and you remember um, TVs with bunny ears. You guys remember that? Right, and you're trying to get your one to three channels you have. Like we only had like, right? And you're trying to get them in. Or maybe you, you grew up in a home where you, I, we had one of these in, in one of the houses we were in where you had that dial on the top of your TV and you turn and you wait for the aerial on the house to turn, right? And you had the little sticker for the three channels of where you needed. Anybody with me on that one? You remember those days? Okay, good. All right, all right. That's good. That's good. So I remember as a kid, I'm even describing that, I feel like I'm my grandma talking about horse-drawn wagons. But... <clears throat> Growing up, when I was a kid, we had a black and white TV. That's all we had when I was, when I was little. And, and I can remember watching the black and white TV and people on the television, uh, a part of the show would talk about the colorful things. I'm like, mm, maybe for you, but all I see is black and white. And then, and then when, we, when we got enough money that as a family, we got a color TV, I mean, things were different. Like everything changed. It was just unbelievable how different it was. To go from black and white to then have all these colors and, and, and how amazing, how beautiful that was. And now, and you ever like roll into Costco and they've got like the TVs in the front section and the high-res definition is ridiculous. It looks like more than real. And just the idea of, of all these colors coming together, the difference between a black and white TV and a high-res color television. That color TV with all those colors to provide a more beautiful picture. And when I think about that, and I think about the passage we just read this morning, and I, I think about the difference between a, a, a church that's a dead church and a church that's a thriving church. As we come together as a thriving church, we, we come together with all the different gifts and how, how amazing is that it? it's not, not uniformity, that's a black and white television, but it's this unity with our diversity. We come together, all the gifts that God's brought, all the different personalities that make up a church and we experience and live out humility and gentleness and patience and love, what, what Galatians 5 would call the fruit of the Spirit is on display, what the, what the Spirit grows in us as we gather together. Because I don't, I don't believe that the fruit of the Spirit is some sort of magic fruit dust that gets sprinkled on you with your quiet time between just you and Jesus. I think that as we live it out together, we, we get to experience and grow in the fruit of the Spirit together. Now, here's the thing. When, when you bring a group of us together, you can say, yeah, it's like that beautiful color TV, but it's also this, when we come together, that we are also a bunch of busted up, broken sinners coming together too, right? Right? And, and, and not me, okay, the person beside you is, right? And, and, and you're like, if, if you look at my life and you start to get to know me, you, you'd be able to see, okay, I can see where Kai wrestles with sin, but here's the thing, even as you think about that, there's stuff deeper inside that you wouldn't even know about. The battles that go on. And so when we get together as the church, we recognize it's not this perfect group of people all coming together to sing kumbaya. No, we're a hot mess at times, right? But don't miss out on this. God brings unity to this mess for his glory. And, and so as it said in the verses leading up to verse seven, we're eager to maintain this unity, this unity that was created by God, this unity that is ours in Christ. No more divisions, no, no more hostility because of what Jesus has done. 
So that's the weird thing about church, that, that we're unified as one, and yet we're also all so super different. And, and, and again, not, not uniformity, but we're called to this unity. What, what Paul calls in this text, we're called to be a body. Different parts. All working together for one goal, the glory of God. And so, so being so different, so diverse, here's what we're not going to ever do as a church. It's not like we're going to have our, our life groups, our small groups set up in a way where like, okay, all the introverts are going to be in this group, okay, super quiet group. All the extroverts over here, lots of talking, nobody listening, right? We're going we're to take all those of the gift of, hosp- gift of hospitality, you're going to form this group over, and I'm like, can you imagine if there was that group? Who would not want to be in that group, right? Best food every life group meeting, Right? We're not doing. It. We're not. We're not going to take. Okay, uh, all those who are who are Toronto Maple Leafs fans, you form this life group. All those who are Montreal Canadiens fans, you. There's other churches you can attend if you'd like to do. Right. Sorry, I don't. My Canadiens fan right over there. God says this. He says, "I love diversity. You're stronger as a church with it." And then the church becomes this, this uncommon mix of people and God takes the diversity to build into, into unity this beautiful thing called the church. In fact, if your Bibles are open, look, look how he describes it in chapter four, verses 11 to 16. It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That sounds like a pretty amazing thing, doesn't it? Like, like what, what an amazing thing to be a part of. And, 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 and there's a lot of metaphors crammed in here that, that when we're mature in Christ and we're doing this well, we're, we're not gonna be like a, a ship that's just tossed by every wave that comes its way. We're built together, growing to maturity, and we're a body that's growing in that way. A quick way to sum up what Paul's saying here would be this, that the, that the body, the church, that's, that's you and me, we're the body, we're, we're growing up to match the head, which is Jesus. That's our goal as a church. That the maturity for us would look like this, that the body would look more and more like the head. That, that harvest would look more and more like Jesus. I heard somebody use this illustration before, um, talking about Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, just an absolute brilliant, uh, a theoretical physicist. I don't even know what that is, but he's super smart, right? He, he was a mathematics professor at Cambridge for 30 years. Brilliant. You, you don't have to buy into Hawking's worldview, but, but you have to admit he was this brilliant mathematician, brilliant physicist. His, his head was exceptional. But if you know about Stephen Hawking, he also had ALS, which, which had him bound to a wheelchair, eventually only able to move just eyes and, and, and move his, his mouth to, to operate a computer. And I can only imagine that Hawking wanted his body to match his head, right? 
that's our goal as a church. And sometimes as the church body, we might feel a bit out of sorts, but our, our, our hope, our, our goal is this, that Christ, our source, the head of the body is what we're wanting to be like, that the body would match the head. And so you have to ask the question, well, how do we do that? How do we grow to this maturity? How does harvest grow more and more like Jesus? What we see from these verses here, for the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus is going to give us the gifts we need as a church. Jesus will give us the gifts we need as a church. And that's where it starts. Verse 7, it says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That there's this, this phrase, this, but grace was given to each one of us. Now that but there, it's a, it's a contrast word. So it's, this is like this, but this is different. So there's a contrast going on here. Verses one to six were all about unity, how we're one in Christ, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one Savior. And then he says, but, but with that unity, there's also this diversity that to each one is given a gift. I love that. Let's keep reading. How is this played out? How are these gifts played out? It says in verse 8, Therefore it says, quoting Psalm 68 here, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower region, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. That's super clear, right? We just move on? No, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? What, what, what are those verses saying? The, the picture here is, as Psalm 68 is quoted, it's this, this psalm of, of a victory over the enemy where the king has gone into battle, gone to the depths of war, has come back victorious and brings with him the spoils of victory, the rewards. I mean, really, it's a picture of the gospel. Here's what Paul's saying. He's in, this is the picture that, that Jesus, God the Son, left the heights of heaven to come to the lower regions, to come to the earth. And Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live in perfect obedience. But while he was here, he experienced everything that we experience. That, that, that Jesus experienced temptation and frustration and grief. He experienced being wore out and tired. He experienced being let down by his closest friends when he needed them the most. Jesus knows what it's like to pray to the Father and not have his prayer answered the way that he wanted. Remember him in the Garden of Gethsemane just calling out to the Father saying, if there's any other way for this rescue plan to work, if there's any other possible way than me taking on the sin of the world, can, can we do it any other way? And he did not get the answer that he wanted, but instead he said, not my will, though, God. If this cup of wrath won't pass for me, it's your will. Let it be done. Listen, Jesus knows. Whatever it is you come in here this morning wrestling with, Jesus knows. In his greatest moment of obedience, Jesus goes to the cross and he, he lays down his life for us, taking the punishment of sin that we deserve and he cries out from the cross, it is finished. He, he dies, he's buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises again to, to show, to prove that, that what he did on the cross was final. 
And so when it says that he descended, that's what it's talking about. He came to earth to live for us, to die for us. When he ascended, he ascends in victory. Now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He, he ascended above all heavens, it says, that he might fulfill all things. He, he reigns supreme over the universe. And here's what's amazing. As he ascends to that victory, he ascends as this conquering king, bringing the spoils of war for his people. What does that mean? It means salvation for sure, that you get the gift of salvation, that we're set free. We share in that victory. And we also share the spoils though, because it says here that there's these gifts that he gives us. Chapter one says we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the seal of the Spirit, guarantee of our future, that it's secure. But the Spirit also brings us gifts for today. And that's how God here is saying, God, God's bringing us to maturity. He's, he's making our church more and more like Jesus. How? With these gifts of grace. These supernatural gifts. That if you're a Christ follower, every one of you has at least one of these supernatural gifts. The ways that God has uniquely empowered you to serve other people. Here's what's amazing about what these verses are saying about the spiritual gifts that you have. These gifts are gifts of Jesus' victory on the cross. Think about that. So that when, when you're using your gift to serve the church, you're actually benefiting from the victory of the cross and you're celebrating that so that, that, that you're demonstrating as you serve, Jesus wins. When, when you serve and harvest kids, when, when you greet somebody at the door, when you're praying for somebody, when you, when you take somebody out for coffee to, to come alongside them, when you invite somebody in your home to care for them as they're, as they're hurting, you're declaring in that moment, it's not just you serving, you're declaring that Jesus has won. I love that because sometimes when you serve, do you not sometimes feel like, man, my part of this gospel story is so small? Like, does it even matter what I do? Is it even making a difference? Does anybody see what I'm doing? Listen, what you do, whatever it might be, and maybe it's something nobody even notices, but you're declaring to the universe that Jesus has won. Our gifts come from Christ's victory on the cross. He ascended and he gave gifts to us. So why do we serve then? Why do we, why do we use our gifts? We don't serve just because there's a need, although there is a need. We don't serve because we feel guilted into it. We serve because every time you do, you make much of Jesus. You declare to the universe, Jesus won. From this text, what, what do we see about the gifts that Jesus gives us to flourish? I think you could break it into two categories. There's, there's two kinds of gifts we see here. And here's the first. He gives us the gift of leaders who serve to equip. Leaders who serve to equip. You see that in verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. There, there's these, these leaders that, that, that Christ gives to the church, leaders who are called to equip the saints. And, and now when you read through that list, this verse could be interpreted as, as the apostles and the prophets, like it says in, in the first chapter here, are the foundation of the church, Christ as the cornerstone, and then on that it's built. So talking about the apostles and the prophets of Scripture, like the 12 apostles, capital A apostles, capital P prophets, could mean that. 
could also be just different types of leaders we have in the church today. So not capital A apostles, not capital P prophets, but, but apostles in this way, those who serve the church in pioneering new works and new ministries. Those people that are just gifted in, in, in being out on the front edge of missions or saying, here's something that we could start. Here's a problem I see and I also have a solution for it. So important for the church. So important because the, those with that kind of gift are, are ones who help a church to not just become stagnant, to, to, to move the church from just hiding out and huddling up and let's just wait for Jesus to come back and say, no, no, we gotta move out. There's things that are broken in our world and Christ has called us to those areas. We need apostles to equip us to do that. Those are that kind of gifting. There are those gifted with a prophetic gift, those who speak the truth of God into situations. We need those kind of leaders, those leaders who would, who would, who would equip us or speak to us with, with this humility but a boldness and a clarity of this is God's truth. There are evangelists those uniquely gifted at sharing the good news of the gospel. Now, all of us are called to do that, but there are those that, that God in a, in a unique way has, has created where they just have this way of, man, every time they're out, like, people are like coming to them and asking them about, about Jesus when they, when they share. People are, are more drawn in. Why? Not because of their skill at it, just God's empowered it in a unique way, and we need those people to, to, to do that, but also to equip us as a church towards sharing the good news. Christ gifts the church with shepherds. Those who have this unique gift just to care for God's people, to lead, to love, to know, to feed God's sheep. It says there are teachers, that, that Jesus gifts the church with teachers, that those, those who have a, a gift to, to teach God's word. So it could be on a Sunday morning like this, those who would get up and proclaim God's word and, and unpack it. It could be those up right now in Harvest Kids as they teach God's word. It could be life group leaders as they teach God's word. It could be just, man, I, I don't ever want to be a public speaker, but I just like sitting down with one or two people over coffee and open up God's word. And look what these leaders, all these leaders, this gift that God gives the church to help us become mature, more like Jesus, the whole purpose is what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus gives gifts to the church, and one of these gifts are these kinds of leaders. Now, now what does that mean for us in our church here? How, how do we uh, apply that? It means that, that when we're looking for, for people in key leadership roles or we're hiring staff to, to serve in a pastoral role, we're looking for those who equip, not just those who do. Do you know what I mean? So we, we want people who say, hey, hey, I want to come to this place. I want to pour my life out to, to raise up more saints for the work of ministry. My role here at Harvest is not to do all the ministry. My primary role as a pastor here is to equip the saints. I mean, just last Sunday, I thought Jesse Landon did such an amazing job. Open up God's word to talk about what does it look like to disciple our kids. And, and yes, he's been hired as our, as our kids director. So taking care of all of our Harvest kids, but, but not just, he's not just up there and just teaching the kids. He doesn't take the role away from you as parents. In fact, his role is to equip parents, to partner with, to encourage, to resource. As you intentionally open up God's word at home, as you have gospel conversations with your kids, as, as you live out the gospel as a family, that Jesse would say, man, I want to come alongside that and partner with you in that. So Jesus gives leaders 
who, who serve to equip. But here's the other gift, saints who are equipped to serve. So, so, so Jesus says, here's leaders serving by equipping, and here are saints now equipped to serve, equipped to, to do the work of ministry. Now, who are the saints here? We've, we've already seen this in chapters one to three. That's you and me. You're the saints in this verse. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called a saint. You've, you've been redeemed. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You've been made holy, set apart as saints. And, and now it says here, Jesus is building us to maturity when each one of us uses our gifts to serve, to build up the body of Christ. To build a body of Christ with, with Christ as the head of the body. The, the head is the one that makes sure that we, we are working properly. The, the leaders are equipping the saints. The saints are doing the work of ministry. Each one of us serving, using our gifts used by Jesus to build up the body that we call Harvest Church. Look at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we do this, when, when, when we're equipping and when we're serving and when we're following Christ ahead, when we're, we're moving in this direction, what's gonna happen is we're gonna learn more about Jesus. We're gonna know more about him. It's why as a church we say one of our priorities is that we're centered on the word of God because that's how we know Christ, by digging deep into his word, immersed in his word to know him more. We, we use these gifts, root in the word, to know Jesus, to look more like Jesus. So my question is this, are, are you using your gifts? I mean, you, you've been given as a gift to this church. Are, are you using your gifts? I mean, the gift you've been given, the, the Greek word is charis. It, it, it literally means grace. You've been graced. You didn't earn it. You didn't build it up in yourself. But Jesus, I'm giving you this gift, this grace Graced to bring grace to others. Do, do you know your gifts would be another question. There are a number of lists and scriptures. We, we've talked about it before here. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. Uh, I don't know if the, if the lists of gifts in scripture, is that exhaustive or is that just, hey, here are some of the gifts and there's other gifts. That, but, but how, is, here's a question I want you to, to think about. How has Jesus uniquely gifted you to build up this church to maturity? If you know Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift. Now, here's the key to it all, though. Here's our last point this morning. It's this. We grow together as we use the gifts. It's not just about knowing it. It's not just about being convicted or convinced that oh, I want to pursue this. It's, it's actually using the gifts. I like how Peter says in, in 1 Peter 4, he says, as each has received a gift, use it. We, we don't bury our gift we use it to grow each other into maturity, more like Jesus. You gotta wonder, knowing that we, we have these gifts, knowing that the church desperately needs these gifts, that Jesus gave them to us as gifts, why is it, to, do we not use them? There's a, a common saying about churches that churches often can look like a hockey game where there's 12 people on the ice giving their all who desperately need rest and there's thousands of people sitting in the stands watching who desperately need exercise, right? 
Why do you think that is? Why do you think churches kind of go that way? I, I, I wonder, maybe part of it could be apathy. Like we just love to be served. We love to consume and to, and to give and to sacrifice is harder. So, so it's, it's almost easier to treat church like you're, you're scrolling through TikTok, no effort, no input, just passively taking everything in. And for some reason, we can sadly miss the amazing truth of the gospel and our hearts grow cold. I mean, if that's you this morning, if you would find yourself apathetic to the call of the gospel, to the gifts you have, don't, don't hear this message as me saying, man, get off your butt, start doing something. That's not what I'm saying. Instead, I would say this, if you find that your heart has grown cold, go back to Ephesians 1 to 3, read those first three chapters, stay in them, reading them, praying over them, and until your heart is lit up by the reality that you are chosen, adopted, transformed, loved, because your mission is not your identity. Your gift is not your identity. The, the fruit that comes from you using that gift, it's, it's another just an example of God's grace, your mission, not your identity. But as you understand who you are in Christ, I'm telling you, your identity will fuel your mission. Sometimes you don't serve because of apathy. I mean, sometimes you don't serve because of fear. We're afraid to serve because we don't want to fail. We, we, we don't want to stand out. And I mean, can I just say this about failing? My hope would be that we would be a church that would not be a church that's only for the professional and the perfect, right? I mean, I'd rather be this messy church trying to figure stuff out with people saying, hey, I want to see if I've got this gift. Whoop, maybe I don't, right? That would be a much better church or, or where you start out to use a gift and, and because you're allowed to step out and you're not being held back by it, you can maybe grow in that gift. I, mean, I love that our, our youth lead worship for youth nights. Listen, when they first started, they did not sound that great. No offense, students. <laughs> They're incredible now. Just how God's used as they've just stepped out and said, you know what? I don't care if I have to stand up in front of my peers. I'm, I'm gonna do this because I wanna worship Jesus. I wanna use my gift. I, I had a conversation with a person this week who just started serving and their, their exact line was, I'm scared out of my mind, but I can't wait to see Jesus at work. I, mean, I love that Jesse got up and preached last Sunday. I mean, fear could have had Jesse say, hey, you know what? You guys didn't hire me to preach. You hired me to teach kids. I don't think I can do this. Fear could have had leadership say, hey, Jesse, why don't you just stay in your lane? I don't know if you... But instead, go, hey, Jesse, you've got the gift of teaching. You love the word of God. Why don't you preach? Like, let's step out. Let's see Jesus do far more. Sometimes we don't use these gifts because we're too busy. Our lives are just so full. And maybe for us this morning, we take, we take stock and say, is, is, is my life, is there so much going on that, that there's no room for me to use my gift? Some people don't serve because they've got this, this attitude, this idea of, well, isn't that why we hired the pastors? Like, why don't they do it? I, I see our staff more, like it says in verse 11, that, that our, our staff are hired, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. I, I would say it this way, that I, I believe spiritually I'm more of a personal trainer than I am a massage therapist. Does that make sense? Maybe for you it's, you know what, I'm retired. I've served for years. Let's let the younger generation step up and take it. Let me tell you this, first of all, the younger generation is stepping up. I mean, I love what our student ministry is doing right now. 
I mean, the, the, the testimonies I hear of, of students who are just living for Christ in their high schools, who are stepping up and serving and, and, and growing and using their gifts. But listen, if, if you're in your, in your 60s or 70s or 80s, let me just say this, God does not have a retirement plan for church. There is a retirement plan, that's later, right? I can't wait for that one. That's gonna be a sweet retirement, right, in glory. But, but if you're here and you're still breathing, there is no retirement in the church. We need you. We need you. Let me challenge you a little bit. If you find yourself as an older Christian and you're looking at the 20-somethings, and you're like, man, look at those guys. Just wasting their time, scrolling on social media, on computer games, that's 20, come on. And maybe you're 70 and you're doing nothing but vacations and hobbies. You're the same. You may be just a little more wrinkly. <laughs> Listen, if you're gifted... I mean, we need you, that you would mentor some younger believers, that you would use your gift. And here, here's what I would say, even with that challenge, here, the one of the things I've always been so blessed by in our church is that God has gifted us with seniors who understand that there's no retirement. Seniors who, I would always say it this way, we have seniors in our church who, yeah, they may be close to the end of the race, but you know what, a, in a 100-meter dash, they're always leaning into the tape to try to finish that race as fast as they can. We have seniors who are leaning into the tape, and I love that, who are like, I'm not done. I got stuff that God wants to use me for. And, and I would encourage you, keep doing that because we need you. The church needs you to be built up to maturity. I would say this too, that, that some of you are using your gift and you don't even know it. And I just want to encourage you that, that not everything happens under this roof, right? That we are the, the church gathered, but we're also the church scattered. And, and some of you are using your gifts throughout our community. And it's amazing just to see Jesus being, being displayed and declared into our town. Or inviting people into your home. Or taking somebody out for coffee. Some of you, um, I want to encourage you on this too. Some, some of you are needing to rest and to heal. Listen, I, I would pray that we'd be a church where if you roll in here wounded, broken, spiritually hurting, that if you come in here and say, I'm just wore out, I'm burned out, know that this is a place where you can come and find rest. And maybe for you, it's a, it's a, hey, I just need to take a season. I need to come off the field for a little bit. I need, to, I need to come to the bench. I need to be healed up. I need to be shored up a little bit. Now, now don't get caught in the cul-de-sac of healing because that does not lead anywhere well. That's not healthy, but my hope is this, that harvest would be a place where you can heal to then serve again. But, but I don't want you to come in here and think, man, we're here. I gotta keep serving. I gotta keep going until I'm dead. No, 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 no. If, if you need some time, then let us serve you. Let us love on you. Let it be a season to heal, to jump back in. Maybe another reason people don't serve is, I've heard this before, I, I'm not good enough to contribute. Like you look at your life, like I don't know if God can use me. I mean, here's, here's good news for you. Do you know that every leader in the Bible thought the same thing? Like from Moses to Paul. Moses said, God, send somebody else. Don't send me. I can't do it. God, God has this, this crazy way of using weak people to do such amazing things. So, so step out and, and, and see God at work. Take those steps and, and say, Lord, I'm going to give you this, and, and I know you're the one who gave the gift, so you're the one who can empower the gift, so I'm going to step out. I've heard it said this way a lot. I like to think of it as the, the first time where you ever were um, with your kids and your kids started walking. Like, how did that go, right? 
How excited were you when your, when your little toddler finally stands up and takes one step, two steps? Like they're not walking well. They're horrible at it, right? And they're just kind of leaning forward and going with it. They fall down, and what do you do? You're like, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. Two steps? Right? You don't do that. You'd be a horrible, please don't do that. What a horrible parent that would be, right? No, what do you do? You celebrate those couple of steps. You take video. You put it on Facebook. You brag about how your kid has taken two steps. And I picture God cheering us on like that. Then when you say, Lord, I'm just going to take a step. I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to trust you with it. And God said, yes. God gifted you with grace. He's going to empower you with grace. Maybe for you it goes deeper than just feeling like your gift couldn't be used. Maybe for you it goes deeper where you're feeling that you're too sinful, too broken, too messed up. I love it because the guy who's writing this letter to the Ephesians was a murderer. So, so I mean, I mean, how's it going for you? Like, what's, what's going on in your heart and your life? And, and I, I would say this, that the stories across this room are stories of people who are messed up, but God. God poured out his grace. That Jesus died and rose again, and Jesus would say this so clearly to you. He would say, I know your story. I know your whole story. And I'm not overwhelmed by your story. I love you. I died for you, to change you, to empower you. So here's my question this morning. Are you playing your part in seeing our church grow to maturity? Are you seeing these verses lived out? We're being built up in love. We're being joined together. We're being equipped. Listen, we, we live in a world where these verses that talk about every wind of doctrine and human cunning and deceitful schemes, I mean, it's everywhere. Do you not see it? Like, just, just spend some time just, just seeing what's going on out there in our world. It is a, a nutty world out there with so much coming at us. Are, are you equipped to know what's true or are you tossed about like a boat without a sail? If we're called a body, I would say this. It starts by being connected. If you were to leave this morning after the service and head out to the parking lot and, and as you go to your car, you look in the ground and there's a foot in the ground just laying there. Nobody would go, oh, nice foot. <laughs> right? You would see a foot and go, something horribly has gone wrong here. This is not good. This, this foot is in rough shape. It, it desperately needs a body and there's somebody out there who desperately needs their foot, Right? When you're disconnected from the church, when you're on your own, when you're doing just your own thing, heaven looks down and says, man, something has gone horribly wrong here. The disconnected body part will eventually rot and die. The body is hurt by missing that part. We need to be connected to one another. We need the whole body, it says here, joined together, building each other up in love. Every member needed so again, what's your part? Are you, are you taking these steps and using your gifts? Are you, are you growing to maturity? It says here, no longer children. If, if I was talking about babies walking, we get excited. If one of my teens came out of her room in the morning, I'm not going, she took two steps. It's amazing. Why? Because she's maturing, right? We're supposed to grow up. There are steps to take. 
Now, God is looking in on us as we grow in maturity. I believe he's cheering on every step we take. But Paul's saying here, don't stay as a baby. Take another step. And, and that next step, it, it may feel like you're, you're a kid with a green crayon trying to draw something. You're like, it's supposed to be a house. And, and, and sometimes serving feels like that, right? We're like, I, this is all I, I got. I'm telling you, God takes that drawing, puts it up in his fridge, and he's like, that's my son. That's my daughter serving. Take the next step. As the worst team comes up, I would just ask again, what, what step could you take even this morning? Knowing that God is celebrating every step. Knowing as a church, we want to do the same. Maybe for you this morning, the step is to, is to serve. Where you recognize, God, you've gifted me here, and I want to I use my gifts well. Maybe for you, the step is, is giving. You, you've never been someone who gives faithfully, and God's calling on you to recognize the, the glory of the grace that's been poured out on you. Like, I want to partner with my church in this. Maybe it's jumping into a life group or, or into some sort of community where you're like, I, I don't want to just be the person who comes in and leaves on Sunday morning. I want to know people. Maybe your step is sharing your faith at school or at work. Maybe for you, your first step this morning is this, that you don't know Jesus and you're like, I, I want to follow him. I want to receive this grace. I want this new life that's promised to me. And that's your first step today. And listen, God is cheering. What's your step? What's the Lord speaking to you coming out of this text? And you're like, man, I'm not involved, but I should be. Maybe for us this morning, maybe, maybe for you, it's just an honest, transparent moment between you and the Lord where, where you're honest with the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm just apathetic. Lord, I'm fearful. Lord, I need your help for me to jump in to this next thing that you're calling me to do.